experts of Common Sense Investing have been helping their clients and listeners make sense of the markets for nearly three decades. Using a conservative, diversified, value-oriented approach to investing, they strive to make you a better educated, well-informed investor. And now here's your host, Eric Whiteman. Well, thank you and welcome to this edition of Common Sense Investing. I'm your host, Eric Whiteman here at the XML Financial Group. So glad you decided to tune in. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. I know I did. I had a delicious feast. I mean, just delicious. Gained a couple of pounds, ran a turkey trot. Mm. Got to be honest, not my best effort. And on top of that, there were no family bras. So all in all, it was a huge success. Of course, the big news, the day after, new variant, Omicron. I'm sure everyone's heard about it by now. And the news sent the market south on Friday uh, in a knee-jerk type of reaction. Then we had a bounce back on Monday. Things seemed okay, followed by another sell-off on Tuesday, which is kind of where we're sitting at now. Now, we don't know a whole lot about this new variant, how it's going to affect the market and the world economies. I saw the doctor who alerted officials to the new variant said it was the unusual but mild symptoms that caught her attention, basically sore muscles, fatigue, not feeling well for a day or two. Well, I'm thinking hopefully that'll turn out to be the worst of it. Now, how is this going to affect the economy and our markets? Well, I think it's too early to tell. We just don't know much about the new strain and more importantly, what the overall reaction is going to be to it. You know, are we going to be forced into lockdowns? Are people going to avoid going back to work? It, we have a lot more questions than answers at this point. One of the main questions the market is going to be focused on is what's going to happen with inflation. Now, this this isn't a new question. I've been talking about it for a while. It's kind of an ongoing saga. When I did my annual outlook last January, I said that I thought we'd see some transitory price increases. I've come to hate that word since transitory. Yeah. My thought process was pretty simple at that time. We'd been producing or well, we hadn't been producing a whole lot of goods because we were all at home. And when we started to reopen, we'd see demand pick up for all those goods that we hadn't produced. And, you know, it was going to take some time for this imbalance to work out. About six months later, I review, uh, revised my view and I said that we'd left that transitory s- story behind and I thought inflation would be more semi-permanent. In other words, we'd see higher inflation for longer and it would eventually settle down to the point that's higher than what we've been accustomed to over the last 20 years, maybe two and a half, three percent. So since last January, just about every investor client conversation has eventually worked its way around to inflation. And as the year over year change in CPI, that's the consumer price index, has steadily climbed higher, broke above 6% last month for the first time in 31 years. The tenor of those conversations have changed. Investors are starting to realize that inflation is perhaps more than transitory, but they still think that it's temporary and that it will fade once the reopening bottlenecks can kind of work themselves out. So the markets are accepting that we're going to have a good year of inflation. Well, or maybe it's a bad year of inflation, however you want to word it. We're going to have inflation, but we're going to go back where we came from. You know, we're thinking back 
over the past 20 years, been very low inflation. Of course, we're going to go back there. And they're thinking that, well, you know, inflation is going to come back from vacation. The market is going to continue its bull run, albeit at a slower pace. And everything's just going to be swell, right? Right, Wally? Well, not to put a damper on anything, but let's at least consider an alternative ending. Just to stay intellectually honest, let's just ponder for a couple of minutes. What if, what if the Fed lets inflation get a little out of hand and then it finds itself behind the curve? The comments from Chairman Powell this week made it seem like they're at least a little more open to quickening the pace of tapering, but we'll see. You know, all this attention to higher prices, you know, all this attention that people have talked about, investors really haven't gotten too worked up over it. Yes, they've made some revisions to their near-term expectations. They've moved them higher. Their expectations for inflation 10 years from now, that really hasn't budged since the start of the year. The U.S. Treasury market, and that's the things like the tips and the swaps, those types of things. The Treasury market is telling me that inflation is going to be about 4% next year, 3% the year after, and then eventually settling back down to 2%. So that's the financial markets. The consumer market, and I'm going to go by the University of Michigan's consumer survey, well, that indicates that households' expectations you know, people like you and me, well, our expectations are pretty close to those of the financial markets in that, yes, inflation was going to be uncomfortably high over the next year, but pretty much an afterthought five years from now. So everyone's expecting the same thing. That's why we're looking at this alternative version here. You would reason that if inflation isn't expected to persist at an elevated rate for an extended period, Well, then, of course, there's no reason to expect that the Fed will aggressively tighten monetary policy. You know, they're not going to go out and raise rates right now. Not to get too wonky, but there's always that but, right? Money markets are telling us that they expect the Fed to raise interest rates starting next July or this coming July. And again, before the end of the year. Then in 2023, they'll raise three times and then again the year after, all by a quarter of a percent or 25 basis points. If they do that, then short-term interest rates will be at 2% in a couple of three years. That's the Fed's target inflation rate, right? They want inflation to be at 25 2%. That because that means the economy is growing at a decent pace. Have we been at 2.5% inflation for the last, I don't know, decade? No, we've been well below that. We've been well below what the Fed wants. And what's happened during that time? Well, you had the great financial crisis, the housing bubble burst. We printed a lot of money to save ourselves. The worldwide pandemic hit. Well, we printed a lot of money to save ourselves. All this money that we've printed, you would have expected it to create inflation, but it didn't. Overall, for the better part of the last 10, 15 years, we've had below average growth for the economy and below average inflation. 
I think the Fed wants to see things get going and get up to their targets. And I think that they could very well stay behind the curve. So why is now any different than the last 20 years? Well, that's a great question. Thank you for asking. We've printed vast amounts of U.S. dollars. We know that. No inflation. But the difference between now and then is that now we have a great deal more fiscal spending. Remember, the Obama administration was focused on deficit reduction. Now, to clarify, fiscal spending is what the politicians do and their spending. They're putting money in the hands of households with a higher marginal propensity to consume. And those households, well, they've been spending and they probably will do so until the COVID dollars run down. You also have wages going up, meaning there's even more money to be spent. So let me wrap this up for you. We have a ton of money in the system and we've had it in there for a while. And we haven't seen the growth or inflation one would expect. But things are a little different now. If what we have continues, we could see demand outpace supply even after the supply chain issues are resolved. And then the Fed could find itself behind the curve and inflation get out of control. That happens once the Fed has shifted into fast and furious reaction mode or the markets develop a widespread conviction that it will the bull market in risk assets like stocks will end and the expansion might too. Remember, this is just an alternate ending. What if to think about it? But it is possible and it would have huge implications on your retirement plan. So it's worth thinking about. It'll take a year before we know or we think we know, but for now, I wouldn't make any drastic changes in my portfolio. On the contrary, I'm actually looking to doing some buying amid the panic that we see in the markets. In the meantime, the good news for savers is that there's an alternative to cash. If you like to have some extra cash, and who doesn't, but you hate getting zero, zero percent on it, well, here's something you might want to consider. I-bonds. The I stands for inflation. These are bonds, inflation bonds issued by the federal government. So a lot of people consider them as risk-free as you can get. So if you're risk-averse, well, you might want to look here. And you can only get I-bonds directly from the government. You go to treasurydirect.gov and you can find all the information that you need. But I'll give you a quick rundown. Are these going to get you rich? Are these going to make you rich? Well, I don't know about that, but the way I would think about this is I'm holding cash, which is getting nothing, and inflation is at 6%, so I can buy 6% less stuff every year. My purchase power is eroding by holding cash. I-bonds are a way to combat that. I-bonds are sold with a coupon or an interest rate, which is currently, you guessed it, zero. So you give them your money. And they give you zero in interest. But what they do give you is an inflation adjustment every six months. So if inflation is at 6%, well, you get 6%. The current rate is 7.12%, I believe. Again, I-bonds allow you to maintain the purchasing power of your dollars, which is probably a whole heck of a lot better 
than what your money market or your CD is paying you. Now, with these bonds, you need to consider the drawbacks when you're comparing them to things like CDs and money markets, et cetera. For one, you can only buy $10,000 a year of I-bonds. Actually, there is a way you can do 15, but that extra five is by using your tax refund. So for for the sake of today's argument, we're only going to say you can buy $10,000 a year and you have to hold them for a year. If you cash them in before five years, well, then you pay a penalty. You're going to lose the last three months of interest. So do your homework on these. And to do the homework, well, you go to treasurydirect.gov and see if they make sense for you and your family and your portfolio. If we can help you or you have questions, give us a call. The number is 571-261-7670. Now, that's all we have time for today. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. Until then, remember, it's just as important to protect your assets as it is the grown. I'm Eric Whiteman, and this has been Common Sense Investing. show now it's time for the really good stuff so listen up it's the disclosures the things i talk about during the show well they're just my opinion and are not necessarily those of the xml financial group i typically own and trade the securities i'm discussing both personally and for my clients but not all of them likewise employees of xml and our affiliate broker dealer may be trading and providing advice regarding the securities I mentioned to their clients as well. Don't construe this as personalized advice or a solicitation to buy or sell a security. No, you should consult your own financial advisor to see if it's appropriate for you. It's also not a substitute for tax or legal advice. I suggest you get someone who's qualified in those areas so you can get the advice you deserve. When you're talking about asset allocation, diversification, rebalancing, they don't guarantee better results and they don't eliminate the risk of losses. In investing, there are no guarantees. Just because you use these strategies doesn't mean you'll outperform someone or something who doesn't. I like to make projections and other forward-looking statements, which are just that, opinions, and are not actual results and are only valid as of the date of this recording. Things change constantly. XML Financial LLC is an independent registered investment advisor.